This is The Politics of Everything, and I'm your host, Amber Danes. Welcome to the podcast where we want to discuss the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment to equality, and much more. Our guests are experts in their field or topic of choice, even if you've not yet heard their name. This is a bipartisan podcast, so while we love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate, by no means is this a one-sided forum for any one political view. So please listen up and enjoy the politics of everything. Getting fit and staying fit is high on the agenda for many people the world over. However, often sickness, work and family responsibilities get in the way of our regular exercise program. Like many Western countries, Australia has an obesity crisis, both in our children and the older generations alike. So we're all pretty aware that we could be doing more to move more often. My guest today is Lizzie, and Lizzie Williamson is the author of a book called Two Minute Moves, which smashes the myth we don't have time to get fit. She has a backstory that will inspire you as well. So welcome to the show, Lizzie. Thanks, Amber. Great to be here. So let's go back a little bit. Tell us about your early career. Was fitness something that you always did? Yes, in a way, because I was a dancer and all I wanted to do was dance. And when I was in school, I'd wake up an hour before I had to get ready for school and I'd go down to my garage and in my garage, I'd set up this little ballet studio with a bit of a mirror on the wall and a bit of a bar and some lino on the floor. And I would dance and practice and the garage didn't have a door on it. So if people would just be walking past, looking in. <laughs> And seeing this, this girl who was just totally in her own world. And I just used to love moving my body. And I really did it just because of the way it made me feel. It made me feel, you know, strong and, and supple and just a whole lot of joy associated with it. So I think that that, that movement is just inside of me and, and that, um, you know, and that love of movement and of moving my body is something I have had um, for as long as I can remember. So you went on to become a dancer in a, in a career sense or where did that journey take yes. you with, with the dance? Yeah, so I, um, I lived in a small town in Gympie in Queensland and I was so desperate to get out of there the moment I finished school and I'd already auditioned for a couple of dance schools in Sydney and I'd gotten into them. So the one I chose to go to, I went down and did dance uh, full time for a year and studied that and then I um, became a gigging dancer and I danced you know, as you know, cruise ships and casinos and, you know, dodgy jobs from like, um, you know, <laughs> jumping out of a cake at a seven-year-old birthday party and dancing the hanky-panky and um, to like, um, you know, really amazing jobs in, you know, um, you know, backup TV dancing and, and that sort of thing. So it was my, um, it was my career uh, for a few years. Sounds so exciting. And I guess at some stage it must have occurred to you that not only was it fun, but it was keeping you fit. So with the fitness element, how important was that to you as you progressed to, you know, a little bit older and, you know, you needed to sustain, I guess, a degree of fitness to be a great dancer? Yeah, I remember actually when I started jogging because it's funny, as a dancer, yes, you kind of fit in one way, but in another way you're not. It's very anaerobic as in you start and you go for it and then you you stop the dance. So I remember when I decided I wanted to start 
jogging and I couldn't believe in a way how unfit I was as a as a jogger and um, but then I, I started doing I really loved that idea of being able to get out and, and clear the head and and have that so I think that idea of being fit as a as a dancer I don't sort of I didn't really put that much focus on fitness I didn't really actually sort of have much of a um of a of a drive to be fitter. I was just kind of in that world of dance and you just kind of dance and sometimes it's actually a pretty unhealthy world to be honest with you. Uh, you don't eat very well, you can get pretty obsessed about your body and so in a way... Yeah, I have heard that I've actually worked with a number of dancers just in my... I was an arts publicist for many years and, um, you know, to keep their bodies in that condition you know there wasn't a lot of food sometimes and a lot of hours of work and you know an expectation of what your body would look like depending on the type of dance of course that you were doing so you know at ballerina certainly some styles would require that and there's other you know when I worked with Bangara dance that was a different style of dancer so I totally appreciate what you're saying about the health aspect yeah I didn't have much focus on my body actually um, as my early career as a dancer I was really lucky I, I just sort of felt really good in my body but it was actually that changed actually on a job I got on a cruise ship and a few of us were told we needed to lose weight and then all of a sudden moving my body and exercise became such a big part because I wanted to fix my body and change it and all I could see was this body that was just flawed and not good enough so that's kind of when it all changed for me. Wow that's incredible. Fast forwarding a little bit um to what I know is the crux of your story and your journey of how you sort of came to Two Minute Moves, you became a mother, like many of us do, and obviously it has its challenges. And you've openly shared that you had some serious postnatal depression with both of your daughters. Give us a little insight of how you discovered that this was your condition and moreover, how you actually coped with this at the time. Yeah, I actually don't think I'd heard of postnatal depression at the time. This was almost 10 years ago. So what I was experiencing, the feelings that I was having, I really thought that there was just something wrong with me and only me because I didn't tell anybody the way that I was feeling. I didn't tell anyone that I was experiencing these intense emotions of, of anger, these feelings of you know wanting to throw my beautiful little baby out the window this um this chant that was in my head of I'm going to kill myself I'm going to kill myself and so I didn't actually realize that what I had was depression I just thought that there was something wrong with me I thought I was really failing as a mother I thought I should be enjoying every moment of it and um and therefore, because it was my secret, I didn't sort of know that what I was actually experiencing was postnatal depression. If I'd kind of reached out for help earlier, I would have been told that much earlier. And I think I would have uh, lost a whole lot of that feeling of, why can't I get over this? I can't talk myself out of it. Uh, I shouldn't be feeling this way that I'm feeling with all that I have, beautiful, healthy babies, a husband, um, you know, a roof over my head. And it was when I finally went and saw my doctor because it was actually because of my husband's words because I think he was kind of at a bit of a loss. He didn't know what to do. I was just in such a dark cloud of overwhelm and he actually said to me you know 
you falling apart actually means that this whole family is falling apart. And he said it very kindly, but there was really something in that that just kind of was like a, just a whoa to me that I realized that I had to do something about this. And so when I went to my doctor, she was the one who said, what you're experiencing here is postnatal depression. And here is a prescription for antidepressants. But also, let me tell you what you need to do. And that is think of what they tell you when you get on the plane. And that is to put your oxygen mask on first before assisting others. That's what you have to do here. That's great advice. And what a fantastic that you found a GP that identified that for you, I guess, you know, that sort of turning point for you. And I guess from that, did you feel like perhaps, you know, I know the endorphins from exercise for me personally make me feel like I can cope a whole lot better with my everyday life as a mom and working and, and so forth. Did you feel like you also, in addition to sort of medication and perhaps some counseling, if you went down that path, you also started to incorporate some more exercise into your day? Yes, but I did think of exercise that could be my oxygen mask, but I also thought, but how can I possibly exercise? I really thought to exercise, I had to do what I used to be able to do, which was just leave the house whenever I wanted to for, you know, an hour and a half, go do this boot camp class, uh, come home, have a rest. I thought that there was no way I could exercise because I didn't have that amount of time. I was also very exhausted pretty sleep deprived so I didn't really like have any energy exactly remember that and I think because of my headspace it was really the last thing that I felt like doing as exercise so I I knew that it was the thing but I had to kind of really say to myself you've got to just find a way to do it. And I didn't know how I was going to do it because I exercised. There was no way it was going to be what it used to be able to be. You know, I couldn't even sort of go to the toilet by myself without having a, a child next to me. Um, and so it was actually by accident that I did have this change of mindset of what exercise could be. Oh, that's so powerful. And obviously, um, you're now an ambassador for PANDA and the acronym stands for Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia. I read that two thirds of mums who called its helpline said expectation versus reality called caused most of their distress or some of their depression and anxiety around mothering and parenting. What could we do better from your experience to support the, the many women that are in this situation? I found when I started sharing my story in a very open, honest way, now it's much easier. But when I first started doing it, I was so terrified because it's like people will think that I'm a terrible person. I'm a terrible mum. I was incredibly ashamed of the things that I had done, but I realized that I needed to own up to those things and to talk about those things because I can't have been the only one feeling that way. And as soon as I started sharing what had happened to me, the amount of women who got in touch with me and said, I thought that I was the only one feeling like this. I thought that I was the only one who had these images of, you know, throwing my baby out the window or had, you know, screamed at my children to an extent that they were looking at me terrified or just didn't want to be a mother anymore. And the fact that they felt like they weren't the only ones made them feel like they weren't alone. And then a whole lot of shame, I think, dissipates 
when you realize that you're not the only one feeling this thing that you feel like you shouldn't be feeling because of these expectations that we have of ourselves as mothers. I thought I was going to be this, you know, amazing earth mother, you know, swanning around, you know, making muffins for my children and really just loving every moment of it. And I think that because I had that those expectations and I hadn't heard anyone else really talk about the nitty-gritty details of what they had experienced as as a mother in terms of you know those sort of dark uh, overwhelmed feelings and so I yeah think I think I've, we've come yeah. a long way I think those conversations are important and I think the more we talk about it the more normal it becomes and I think the shame goes away so I think that's really powerful advice for anyone that might be in that situation or even re- reaching out to new mums who might isolate themselves I know I did that and when I wasn't coping I didn't actually want to reach out I didn't want to talk to anyone which is probably the worst thing you could do but the idea of you know making small talk or getting out of the house sometimes with small children was just so overwhelming that um, you know you kind of need to sort of I guess look out for the people in your lives, the mums, and, and see that they're doing okay. And Absolutely. kind of the responsibility, I believe, is in all of us to do that. And that it's okay if we're not doing okay. I thought that, um, that was, uh, like I said, I was really failing because I wasn't doing okay. Uh, but I wasn't. That was so a part of motherhood and these such high expectations I had set for myself, I think, really didn't do me any favours. No, that, that's really great to know that, you know, you, we're not alone in all this and I think you sharing your story is very brave but also very powerful for everyone out there. So many of us strive to be fitter um, but there are challenges as you've touched on and I know that for myself, my life pre-kids with, um, you know, even with a big career job travelling the world as a journalist and a PR executive, I could still, you know, do workouts five in the morning and had not had broken sleep the night before and all those things. So how can we do more for our own fitness when our time is really so compressed? And I think not just, you know, mums, but everybody really. I mean, what is it that, you know, we could be doing better in that in that realm? With a bit of reality lens on it as well, I think, too, rather than saying it's going to be two hours a day. It's like, I'm never going to do that. That's right, because when we say two hours a day or sometimes even an hour a day and we can't get to it or it doesn't happen, then we end up actually doing nothing. And what I realized when I started doing my little home workouts, the first time I did it, I only got two minutes and one of my girls called out for me. But what I realized, even in that little two minutes, I was at my kitchen bench pretending it was my ballet bar and doing some little plies and leg raises, I realized that that two minutes was actually really, really worthwhile because I had actually felt like I had achieved something, I'd done something for me. And I think that whole philosophy of taking those little moments in your day to actually get active in some way, move your body and give back to yourself, they're those little moments that are quite sustainable, achievable and all really add up to a big difference. So I think it's kind of taking those little moments when you are at the kitchen bench and put the kettle on um, while you're waiting for it to boil, doing 10 push-ups at the kitchen bench. Or when you're hanging out, you're washing, doing some a squat every time you bend down to get a, um, a piece of clothing. You know, um, when you're doing the housework, put on some music and turn it into a really sort of invigorating workout or when you're, you know, brushing your teeth, this is one of my favorite ones, you know, take your leg out, legs out wide and do some wide squats up and down. Like there's so many little opportunities that you can grab 
to to move, but it really does take a bit of a shift in your head of what you think exercise has to actually be. It's really nice that that bite-sized amounts that you think, well, of course I can do that. And the multitasking element appeals to a lot of us too, the fact that you've got to brush your teeth. So while you're there, you might as well be doing something. And I know for me personally, um, if I'm with the kids at the park now, I will often do a few lunges and things while they're on the swings or whatever and kicking a soccer ball. And I sort of feel like it's better than nothing. And I think I got to that place too where I went, I'm never going to have four times a week doing spin classes and then a Pilates class and all the things I used to do. And that frustration when you don't get there, that sense of I've failed and then you end up giving up on all the fitness is probably the, the worst thing you can do, but it's really common. And I think if you can chunk it down and make it manageable and fun, it, it does help. I am um, going to change tack a little bit, but I know that, you know, before Two Minute Moves, um, you have a program called Mummy Lost Her Tummy and Got Her Call Back. I love it. <laughs> a 21-day program that had classes. And so for you, this idea of fitness is obviously in you, but why did you sort of start off with that? I mean, how did that sort of come to be? Because I had so many mums that I'd walk past it to going up the way to school and they're like, can you help me lose my tummy? <laughs> and so I just thought that had a really nice ring to it. It's such a nice thing to get involved in your community and those around you. So it's, it just wanted to have like a fun little thing um, to, to offer people in my area. And, uh, and it's funny because I had all the kids up at school because I had like uh, uh, little pole posters, the posters around the poles up at school, and all the kids would go past me and like, you're the mummy lost her tummy, girl. And um, so it's interesting because I had this, um, it's very different how I feel now to what I feel then. You know what that's like as you evolve in your business. And um, so I'm not sure whether I would put that program out again because I'm so all about I don't know, in, you know, embracing the body that you that you have and loving yourself and not feeling like you have to fix anything, which I think is a bit of a tricky thing in the in the fitness industry. But I think that's why my message is much more in line with with my values and everything now, which isn't so much about this is how you change your body. It's much more about this is um, this is how you can help yourself feel good, be more connected with your family, and um, and just really get the most out of your day. Exactly. And and so sort of tangential to that was obviously the idea of two-minute moves began. Is there an exact point? I mean, you mentioned you were sort of doing some push-ups at the bench and for two minutes and then you got the call, which you do, the, the pull of the tiny face, as I call it, not wanting something. Did that sort of start something for you or was there sort of multiple reasons why you started two-minute moves? There was the first thing was – when I heard about friends or friends of friends that were having a bit of a hard time, maybe they had depression or they were suffering from anxiety or a lot of stress and everything, I started thinking that I could actually send them these workouts that I did. And so I started filming them and sending them out, not as like to offer any sort of cure or anything like that, but just maybe a little thing that might be able to help them cope a little bit better. And then I started loving filming these workouts and I was walking along the beach one day and I just said to myself if I could do anything what would I do in my work and just straight away I just went I would do these two-minute workouts I would make this my business and so then you know every day I just started filming them started putting them out there to um, you know on social media and from there it grew. 
Absolutely. And I mean, you have created a really solid social media community ahead of launching what is now the book, Two Minute Moves. How has that helped in your journey as a first-time author with a bit of a purpose? I mean, how does that really support you? It's sort of interesting that you've gone there first and then done the book later. A lot of people would do it opposite. So for you, was it more organic than that? I mean, how did that sort of go from I'm on social media with this little community to I need to write a book about this? I started to really see from that time of, and it still continues, but that being with people on social media, getting their feedback, hearing what it was that they were really struggling with and these really clear messages started coming through and it was really about these what I, you know, the excuses or the obstacles. Um, they all became very, very clear that pretty much everyone sort of had these similar type of ones, you know, don't have the time, I'm too tired, all those type of ones. And so I think from that time of being able to talk to people on social media, I was able to really get very, very clear on my message. And then I started writing the book and it's been a few years in the process. And from that time, during the writing it, I was then able to keep um, communicating with my two-minute movers and talk to them and, and see what worked best for them in terms of helping the problems that they had. Absolutely. So you are a bit of a fitpreneur these days. Ooh, I like to call you that. I like that. Um, yes, I have a few friends that are fitpreneurs, and um, it's it's a it's a great way to describe what you're doing. What do you hope to be your next steps in the next year or two? What's ahead in the Lizzie Williamson Fitpreneur Empire? You've got the book. What else? I wrote this book in a way, like in my the business side of it, because I want to get out there and spread my message. I'm a performer. I want to get up on stage uh, to big audiences and inspire them to get moving and take those little moments to give back to themselves. I want to be on camera filming shows for a whole lot of people to see. So that's that's what I'm doing. And the book is really also about opening the doors to make those things happen on top of the fact that this is the book that I wanted to have when I was at that rock bottom place. Absolutely. So it's a bit of a gift to the world and it really speaks to who you are as well. So we wish you well with it. I have two questions though that I do ask all my guests and I will wrap up with those. The first one is, do you have any special mentors, inspiration or people that have guided you either in your early career or later on as you've gone to you know, become where you are now? If so, who are they and what have they taught you about life? My mum and my dad were really great business people and really, really good mentors to me. And it's really interesting because my dad was a total big picture man and he was the visionary and he taught me to think big and to, you know, set these really big goals. And my mum was all about the small steps and that's what she taught me. She said it's fine to have this big vision. In fact, it's amazing, but it's those small steps that are going to help you get there. And I really think those two um, messages that I got from my parents really, really came into play when it um, came to this this business of mine and this book because I really saw how those small steps made such a, an impact in getting to that big picture. Exactly. It's just one step at a time often or two steps back if once you're you know, an entrepreneur, you kind of have those days that it's like this is amazing and then other times it's like all the wheels fall off. So I totally hear you on, on that message. As last advice, what top three tips could you wrap up with for listeners who want to triumph in the politics of fitness? What would you give to them today? 
break the exercise rules. Be an exercise rule breaker. Think about what you think exercise has to be and just kind of bust through that. It doesn't have to be a certain amount of time, a certain intensity. It doesn't have to, um, you know, give you a six pack in six days. You know, exercise is something that is such a gift that you give to yourself no matter how you give it. And then I would also say that each moment really counts. And though even though that moment might not be an hour, even if it might be 10 seconds, two minutes, all those little moments, when you get to the end of your week, you can look back and see how much they've added up and how much they've made a difference to not only yourself, but to those around you. And, you know, one of my big things is that exercise does not have to be boring, a chore, a punishment for the way you've eaten. It can actually be something that you can fall in love with and something that brings you joy. When I dance around the house with my daughters, the joy that I feel from moving my body and exercise my body is, is just amazing. And that's, that's what I want for everyone out there. We love your message and um, totally support what you're doing. If you do want to connect further with Lizzie, we'll have some details on our show notes. You've been listening to The Politics of Everything. Until next time, keep well. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, we thrive on feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network and your friends and family. I'm also always on the hunt for fabulous new guests. So if you've got a view to share and an idea how to get our listeners excited, please email me at amber at bespoke comms, that's B-E-S-P-O-K-E-C-O-M-M-S dot com dot A-U and we'll be sure to get back to you. Until next time.